him. So I'm excited about that. We're getting back to the heart of God and what God is asking for and requiring of us in this season. And prayer is essential. You can't be a believer and don't pray. That's an oxymoron. You can't be a believer and don't pray. So we are coming together in the month of June, every Friday night, for prayer. Amen. Um, I'm trying to keep it one hour. As the scripture says, can you not pray with us for at least one hour? Can you not you know, pray with me for an hour? Um, but we will follow what the Lord says. Amen. And let me say this as well. You need to be on time for service on Sunday. Amen. Be on time. Amen. Late ain't working in this season. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you, on Sunday, late ain't working. People are finding out every single Sunday. Amen. I had somebody say, I ain't been able to sit with my wife not one Sunday yet. <laughs> well, be on time. Amen. <laughs> Actually, be early. You'll get you a seat. Amen. So make sure you're on time for service on Sunday. I want to say praise the Lord for everything that the Lord did on Sunday for our Mother's Day service. Was it not a blessing? Yeah. Amen. Thank you again to uh, Sister Leola and Betty, who did an amazing job on Sunday. Amen. And um, I thank them for their words of encouragement. And, um, and let's give it up for the greatest male choir we ever seen in our life. Amen. They blessed us tremendously on Sunday. Amen. I'm excited about what God is going to do in our church. Now, ladies, I need y'all to return the favor. Amen. In the month of June for Father's Day. Amen. The rehearsal is on June the 11th, I believe. Is the 11th? June the 11th is the rehearsal, ladies. And then you will sing on that Sunday. Amen. Praise the Lord. Some of y'all ain't sung in a long time, Joni. And so you need to make sure that the Lord is calling you for such a time as this. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. <laughs> Amen. All right. Um, so on tonight. On tonight, I want to um, kind of go into um, something now. Because I did not minister on Sunday, um, I will be picking back up with discipleship on Sunday coming. But tonight is a part of that because what I realize is, is that um, if you talk about discipleship, what does that mean? That means you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And I discovered as I was praying and asking the Lord what to share with you on tonight, I said, Lord, okay, how do I get this church to be more engaged and active in following you. And then he said to me, well, first you got to make sure they know who I am. Because you don't follow anybody you don't know. Right? You just don't do I hope not. And so um, we got to first lay the foundation of who Jesus Christ is. So tonight, that's all I'm going to talk about is Jesus Christ. That's all I'm going to talk about, Jesus. All right? And this lesson will examine the person of Jesus Christ who is the reason for our faith. There are many theories about Jesus, many theories about Jesus, that he was an ancient Jewish rabbi, that he was just a prophet of some kind, that he was a ghost or a spirit. Some have even said that he was some kind of alien being from another planet. Um, uh, someone has even suggested that he's some kind of advanced life form. And I'm sure the speculation will continue um, and more opinions and theories will eventually be developed. But for Christians, look at your neighbor and say, that mean us. That mean us. The only source of information about Jesus, his life, and his ministry, and his teachings for us is the Bible, the word of God. Uh, so what does the Bible say about Jesus? Not what does your timeline say about Jesus, because your timeline will mess you up. It will confuse you. Uh, 
the best way to discover who Jesus is um, is, uh, is through eyewitness accounts of his life that is recorded and preserved for us in the word of God. The Bible, uh, Jesus is the Bible's central theme. Do you know Jesus in, is in every book of the Bible? Okay. The entire Bible is all about Jesus Christ. I know y'all, some of y'all have never heard that before. But the entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. Let me prove it to you. Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. Leviticus, he's the high priest. Numbers, he's the cloud and the fire. Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like Moses. Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. Judges, he's the judge and the lawgiver. Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, he's the prophet of the Lord. First and second Kings, he's the reigning king. First and second Chronicles, he's the glorious temple. Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the walls. Esther, he's Mordecai. Job, he's the day spring from on high. Psalms, he's the Lord who is our shepherd. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's the wisdom of God. Song of Solomon, he's the lover and the bridegroom. Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. Jeremiah and Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. Ezekiel, he's the son of man. Daniel, he's the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. Hosea, he's the bridegroom. Joel, he's the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Amos, he's the burden bearer. Obadiah, he's the mighty savior. Jonah, he's the forgiving God. Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. Habakkuk, he's the great evangelist crying for revival. Zephaniah, he's the restorer of the remnant. Haggai, he's the cleansing fountain. Zechariah, he's the, uh, I'm sorry, Zephaniah, he's the restorer of the remnant. Haggai, he's the cleansing fountain. Zechariah, he's the pierced son. Malachi, he's the son of righteousness. Matthew, he's the Messiah. Mark, he's the miracle worker. Luke, he's the son of man. John, he's the son of God. Acts, he's the ascended Lord. Romans, he's the justifier. First and second Corinthians. Corinthians, he's the last Adam. Galatians, he's the one who sets us free. Okay. Ephesians, he's the Christ of riches. Philippians, he's the God who meets our every need. Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead. First and second Thessalonians, he's the soon coming king. First and second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. Titus, he's the blessed hope. Philemon, he's the friend closer than a brother. Hebrews, he's the blood that washes away the sins. James, he's the great physician. First and second Peter, he's the chief shepherd. First, second, and third John, he's everlasting love. Jude, he's the God, our savior, and revelation. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus is in every chapter, every book of this Bible. He is in every book. He is the main point of all the books of the Bible. The different parts explain different things about him and his interaction with us. Okay? So let me break this down so you understand this. If you're taking notes, number one, in the Old Testament, he is the Old Testament describes the creation and preparation of the world for his coming. The Old Testament describes the creation and preparation of the world for his coming. The Old Testament describes the creation and the preparation of the world for his coming. The Old Testament is really the story about the creation of the world and how God prepared for his coming by the forming of the Jewish nation. It contains all the events that set, that set a human and historical stage for his eventual appearance as man in this world. It tells this story through the eyes and the words of the Jewish prophets, leaders, and kings. 
now, once you get over from the Old Testament, now let's go into the New Testament, but that needs to be broken up to describe who Jesus is. The four Gospels are the eyewitness accounts of his life. Okay? The four Gospels are the eyewitness accounts for his life. Four Gospels are who? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels are the eyewitness accounts of his life. But not only his life, also his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven. Again, the story recorded and preserved by men who were with him for years and who knew him intimately. That's what goes on in the gospel. But then you have the rest of the New Testament that describes the establishment of the Christian church. Okay? The rest of the New Testament that describes the establishment of the Christian church. Just want to make sure y'all got that before I move on. Let's review. What does the Old Testament describe? What does the four Gospels do? And the rest of the New Testament describes what? Okay, do y'all see that? Okay, I want to make sure you get this. The New Testament, uh, the establishment of the Christian church, the New Testament was written by other apostles and their disciples showing the establishment of the Christian church according, watch this, to Jesus' instructions. In addition to this, there are teachings to help followers or disciples live their Christian life in every generation and every environment. We could go anywhere in the Bible to find out about uh, Jesus concerning a couple of things. You don't have to write this down. I'm just going to say this real quick. So the Bible talks about the promise of his coming. It talks about the preparation for his appearance, the circumstances of his miraculous birth, the content of his teaching the details of his death and resurrection, and the people who knew him personally and spread his teachings throughout the world, okay? Um, I don't think that we have the time in a setting like tonight to talk about all that stuff, okay? In fact, you couldn't go through a six-month class and still try to contain all that in a six-month class. But what we're going to do is we're going to try to focus on what the Bible says about who Jesus is. That's what I want to focus on. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus that you and I say is our Savior and our Lord? Who is this Jesus that has, uh, is, is, the, is, is so controversial still to this day? You notice that time go on, he's still getting more controversial. You know, more people have more problems with him, okay? Um, since most of the eyewitness accounts about him are in the New Testament portion of the Bible, let us go there to learn more about him. Thousands of people saw and heard Jesus speak, teach, and even do miracles. There is no doubt of his existence. Let me say this. There is no doubt of his existence. Let me tell you why. Because historians of that era wrote about him and his ministry. The Bible is not the only place where you can learn that Jesus really existed. I, I, was, I was watching something on, on um, YouTube, and, I, and I, I have a bad habit of looking at the comments below. And I looked at, the, I have a real bad habit, Chantel, of looking at the comments below. I should not look at them because they make me mad. They make me upset. And I looked at the comments below and someone literally said that Jesus is a myth. And I said, that is, 
it's not that you're not only uh, um, unspiritual, you're not well informed. Because what you will discover is the Bible is not the only place that talks about this man from Nazareth. Okay? Let's write this name down. Josephus Flavius. J-O. Y'all ready? J-O-S-E-P-H-U-S. Josephus Flavius or Flavius. F-L-A-V-I-U-S. Okay? Josephus Flavius who was a Jewish historian, wrote about this period when Jesus lived. Catch this. Josephus was not a follower of Jesus. But he mentions him and Christianity in general in his historical books. Okay? So before they say that the only reason why you believe in Jesus because the Bible says it, you need to let them know uh, Wikipedia Get a book, because you will discover that more and more than Josephus was, the, was not the only person, but he's the main person that talked about him mostly outside of the, the word of God. That there were other people who talked about Jesus who were not Jesus followers. Okay? Uh, Josephus mentions uh, Jesus and, and, uh, and Christianity in general. History, not just the Bible, writes that Jesus was a Jewish man born into a humble family who lived in Israel approximately 2,000 years ago. Okay? I need you to see that. All right? Historians, not just the Bible, say that Jesus began his ministry by claiming that he was the Jewish Messiah or Savior and was eventually, this is what history says, not the Bible. It says that he claimed that he was the Jewish Messiah or Savior and eventually arrested and executed by the Roman government at the insistence of the Jewish leaders who, who accused him of civil unrest by his teachings. That is not only in the Bible. That is historians have also wrote about this. Okay. Eventually, his followers established a Christian church based on his teachings. That's what history teaches us. This is what secular history books teach us about the facts of his life. Now let me go further because secular uh, accounts is not good enough for your faith. Okay? So just because we believe that there was a Cleopatra does not mean all of a sudden you're going to build a shrine in your house to her. Do you see that? Okay? History books say there was a Cleopatra. Can't take that away from us. She was there. But that does not mean that she is worthy of worship. So where do we get the concept idea that Jesus, that this Jesus that this Bible talks about is worthy of worship? We get it, number one, or number two, really, we talked about the history books. Number two, the witness of the apostles. The witness of the apostles. There were others, however, who actually followed Jesus as his special disciples, and they too recorded their accounts of his life. Now, apostles um, mean, that word actually means those that walked with Jesus, okay? Those that walked with Jesus. In modern times, um, because everybody's so title-driven, you know, everybody want to be a bishop and a prophet and an evangelist and, a, and an apostle and an apostle, you know, now black history, you don't even know how to say it. Um, we, 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 we run after these titles. And there's a big controversy in the, in the body of Christ between if there are really still apostles. 
because biblically apostles were those who actually walked with Jesus, the physical Jesus. I know you're walking with him every day. But there were those that walked with the physical, in the flesh Jesus. And so those, the title that was given to those people were called apostles. Okay? Now, um, it is from these writers, these apostles, whose records from the New Testament that we can establish a more, much more comprehensive picture of who Jesus really was. So I want to talk about this first apostle. His name is Peter. Okay? Peter. Let me uh, explain who Peter is. Peter was a fisherman by trade along with his brother Andrew. Okay? Peter was a fisherman his, along with his brother Andrew, and they had a family business. They were fishermen. He was the first apostle called by Jesus to follow him on a first-time basis, on a full-time basis. He was the first apostle that Jesus called to follow him on a, on a full-time basis. He was, he was to hear all of Jesus' teaching, witness his miracles, and later on uh, became a leader in establishing the church. In fact, Peter dies a martyr in Rome, claiming to the very end that what he heard from Jesus and what he saw from Jesus was true. They tried to make Peter take it back, and Peter said, I ain't taking it back. Even, watch this, death did not sway his witness. Okay, let me stop right there. That is the epitome of a disciple. When you are willing to go all the way, no matter what the cost. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks, uh, is a, a theologian, has a book that is called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, The Cost of Discipleship, what he lays out is that when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you something. It comes at a price. Watch this. A real disciple goes with Jesus all the way, no matter how much it costs. Okay? A real disciple is someone who will be tried in the fire and not be swayed in who you believe in. Someone that can... That can Go through the storms of life and not back up on your confession. See, ladies and gentlemen, I hate to bust your bubble, but that's what the enemy is really after. He is not after your house and he's not after your car. He can care less about your job or your money. He is after your faith that says that even when I'm tried in the fire, I still believe I'm going to come forth as pure gold. He is after your confession that you made that I believe in God no matter what comes, no matter what happens, and he will try everything to shake you out of your faith. That's why you got to get to the place where you say, I'm not ashamed for I know who I believe and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until the, uh, against that day. I will not give up on God even if it gets me in some tight spots. And the problem with the saints of God, members, not disciples, the problem with people that come in church is that they think that, that being a disciple for Jesus Christ it means that you're always in a flowery bed of ease. That it's always going to be wonderful and always going to be great. I hate to bust your bubble, but suffering is a part of the package. See, y'all don't like that right there. You want me to tell you about your cap, your, you're going to get your house, you're going to get your car, and you're going to get married, and your man is on the way, and your money is on the way, and slap fire with your neighbor. No slap fire with your neighbor and let your neighbor know suffering is coming. Because mm -hmm. suffering is a part of the package. And God wants to know. See, some of y'all couldn't even give your neighbor a high five because you want a cute, cuddly Jesus. But God's, Jesus said that many days you will suffer. 
it, it, it happens. It is a part of the package. You can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ and think that you can bypass suffering. It will not happen. You have to suffer. Mm -hmm. and the question is, when suffering comes, will you be shaken out of your confession? That's the question. So look at, look at the conversation Jesus had with Peter. Let's go to Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse number 13 through 16. Matthew 16, verse number 13 through 16. Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse number 13 through 16. Matthew 16 chapter, verse number 13 through 16. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. I'm sorry, New King James Version with this. Um, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, uh, uh, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, meaning the disciples, who do you say that I am? He asked all the disciples, only one spoke up. That's scary. Because how all y'all walking with me and you don't know who I am? Okay. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, we talking about Peter, answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Watch this. I need you to see this. The Bible says that even while Jesus was alive, Peter believed and declared him to be the divine son of God. While Jesus was alive, Peter believed and declared him to be the divine son of God. Later on, after Jesus was executed, Peter describes the things that he saw with his own eyes as he rebukes the Jews for their hard hearts and disbelief. Go over to Acts, the third chapter, verse number 14 through 15. Acts, the third chapter, verse number 14 and 15. Acts, the third chapter, verse number 14 through 15. Verse number 14 through 15. But you denied. Now, now you got to catch this. Peter is rebuking the Jews because they didn't believe in Jesus. Okay. So what you're, what you're entering in on is him going off on them. Okay. I need you to set that up so you understand where, where this, this text is coming from. Peter say, but you denied the holy one and the just. Notice just is capitalized. And ask for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. Watch this. 
he tells the Jews, listen here, y'all killed him. The holy one, the just one, you killed him. You killed the prince of life, watch this, and what you wanted in replace was a murderer. Do you remember? When they brought the, the thieves before, they brought the people out, brought them out, and said, well, who do you want to crucify? Which one do you want? And what did the people start hollering? Barabbas, give us, right. Y'all remember that? Barabbas, the murderer. The convicted, found, guilty murderer. Let Barabbas go free, but kill that Jesus, the innocent one. Peter says, you denied the Holy One and the Just One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Now, there is much written about Peter in the New Testament, and Peter himself writes two of the books or epistles contained in this part of the Bible. What, what are the books that Peter wrote? This is so a trick question. First and second Peter. Thank you. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it was such a trick question. Yes. Peter wrote two epistles. Epistles means letters. He wrote two epistles, two letters, first and second Peter. But just these two passages summarize what Peter thought about Jesus based on what he experienced from Jesus. Are y'all with me? Peter calls Jesus, watch this, holy one and just. So let's break that down. When he calls him holy one, this term is very unique because the last time this phrase was used on Jesus was coming out the mouths of what you didn't expect. Okay? Go over, keep your finger right there, but go over to Mark, first chapter, verse number 24. Mark, the first chapter, and uh, actually we're going to have to back up so you get the, 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 the gist of what's happening in this text. Mark, the first chapter, and look at verse 21. Mark 1, 21. Y'all got it? They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay, catch that. This is the last time Jesus was called Holy One, and it was by a demon. All this time had passed. And Peter brings this up and says, you sure didn't know him. Because how's the last time he was called the Holy One, it was by a demon and not by the Christians. You must not know who he is. Watch this. The demon recognized that Jesus was the Holy One. Jesus, Holy One. Now let me break that down. What does the Holy One mean? Jesus is infinitely and absolutely holy. He's fully and perfectly divine. This is what Peter is saying to the Jews. You are denying the one who is in a class all by himself. You must not know who he is. He is majestic. He is profoundly different from everything and everyone you have ever met. 
he came down from above to save sinners, but he is also set apart from sinners because he is completely sinless without any moral blemish, perfect in all his ways, and you can't find no fault in him. And that is the problem with the body of Christ is because you are looking at your life and you are declaring that you see fault in him. And what Peter is trying to remind us on tonight is that he's the holy one. Ain't nobody like him. He don't compare to anybody you ever met. Why are you playing him like a, a, a cheeseburger when you actually know he's a Big Mac? Why are you acting like you don't know who he is? Because Christians today don't act like they know who they really serve. He is God all by himself. Beside him, there is none other. His feet sit on the circumference of the earth. He is the one that's cast the stars in the sky. He is the one that flung the moon. He's the one that opened his mouth, and every word that came out of his mouth had to happen. He spoke, and light came on. He spoke, and water divided. He spoke, and land happened. And here you are, confused about who he is. He's holy. Ain't nobody like him. Watch this. This is important. Because if you don't see Jesus as holy. Watch this. If you don't see Jesus as holy, you will mix him up in things that he never compares to in the first place. You don't see him as holy. You know how I know? Because your boyfriend gets the same prerogative that God gets. He's not holy. Your, your, your job gets more attention than he does. He's not holy. Because if he's holy, he's in a class all by himself. Okay. You might love your job, but because you love Jesus and because Jesus is holy, he's in a league all by himself because he is superior, he is supreme, he is distinct, and he is unique. And because of his holiness, you should be enraptured by him. Your mind should be on him constantly. God help me. See, this is why the saints going crazy. Because our minds are on other stuff. And when we put our minds on other stuff, then we make that thing larger than our God. But when you realize that he is supreme, that he is in control, that he is God all by himself, that he's greater than your boss, and he's greater than depression, and he's greater than any pill, that he's greater than any alcohol, that he's greater than any friend, that he's greater than any amount of money, then that should wrap you up so tight that when you lay your head down at night, your mind is on Jesus. And when you get up in the middle of the day, your mind is on Jesus. See, your first thought in the morning should not be Facebook. Your first thought should be he's wonderful. He's great. He's mighty. He's awesome. And I worship him because he's in a league all by himself. Don't get him mixed up with other people. He ain't like other people. Watch this. He has to have all your attention. Peter told us that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior the, uh, that was promised in the Old Testament. Peter showed us that Jesus was the one sent by God to save mankind. Here's the power of Peter's testimony. It's that it never changed when he was threatened, when he was imprisoned, and when he was finally sent to his death for saying these things. Old folk used to put it like this, you can't make me doubt it because I know too much about him. I can't sway on him. I can't love him one minute and I don't know the next. No, the devil is a liar. He's my all in all. God, I wish I had some saints in here that say he's my all in all. He's all I got. He ain't a, an option. He's the only option. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the one I go to. He's the one that keeps me in perfect peace. He's the one that keeps my mind together. He's the one that makes sure I don't put my hands on nobody. He's the one that makes sure that the wrong stuff don't come out my mouth. He's my everything. He's in a class all by himself. 
so um, when you want to know who Jesus is, the Bible uh, says that through Peter's word that he is the son of God, the savior, and he is resurrected from the dead. Now, that's Peter's testimony because we're trying to get testimony of these apostles, right? Let's go to the next apostle. I want to talk about Thomas. Thomas. What, we, what is he known as? Doubting Thomas. Okay? Doubting Thomas. Isn't that something? He doubted one time and got a label for the rest of his life. That's how it go. That's how people do. You have one baby out of wedlock and you get a title for the rest of your life. You do something one time and they just attach a, a title to you and that's who you are for the rest of your life. Look at your neighbor and say, don't put no title on me. Don't put no title on me. Another apostle that we often refer to as, as Doubting Thomas because he wanted proof of Jesus' resurrection before he would actually believe that the Lord had been resurrected. What he says about Jesus is interesting because of this very fact. Watch this. Now, uh, Thomas demanded proof before he would continue to believe. Peter didn't need proof. He believed just because he was there. Okay? But Thomas demanded proof before he would continue to believe. Kind of same side. We need proof to continue to believe. We need him to, you know, give me the job so I can continue to believe that you are a way maker, that you are a provider. I, I need you to heal my body for me to continue to believe that you really do heal bodies. I need you to perform for me, for me to continue to believe. Watch this. He knew Jesus, and like the other apostles, he had lived and worked with Jesus for three years. He saw miracles. He heard the teachings and witnessed Jesus down the cross. He was convinced, watch this, that Jesus was dead. There was no doubting him in that. But when the other apostles reported that they had seen Jesus resurrected and alive again, Thomas was skeptical and refused to believe. Because let's be real, take the mask off. Has your world ever been shaken to the place that you don't believe like you used to? Let's just have real talk. Have you ever gone through something? You know, first got in church, first got, got to, gave your life to the Lord, you was on fire. You believe everything the preacher said. God going to make a way. Oh, he going to make a way. <laughs> now, after you done been through some stuff where he didn't make a way based upon your expectations. Now you don't believe as much anymore. Now we got to sing 30 minutes to get you to say hallelujah one good time. Because you don't believe anymore. Because your world can be shaken to the place that you don't believe like you used to. Go over to John the 20th chapter, verse number 24 through 28. Are y'all getting something from this? John the 20th chapter, verse number 24 through 28. Who's back there? Any, do me a favor. Turn these up for me. Because I, I can't hear myself. I know that I can. But if you can turn me up, thank you. Praise the Lord. John 20, verse number 24 through 28. He, he's known as Doubting Thomas. Where does that come from? It comes from this, this text we're getting ready to read. John 20, verse number 24 through 28. Y'all got it? If you're still looking for it, say, wait on me. Okay, I'll wait on you. John 20, verse 24 through 28. 
praise the Lord. I love for us to search the scriptures. I don't, I don't mind waiting. I really don't. I don't. Don't look at that as a bad thing. I want us to find the text, all right? I don't want you to think that I'm just giving you something and you can't go back and find it for yourself. You need to find it for yourself. John 20, verse number 24 through 28. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, catch that. That thing messed me up. Listen, I need y'all to understand that thing messed me up when I was studying this. Let me back that up again so you get the emphasis. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe a week later. In other words, God is saying, I have shown you enough already for you to believe. So if you try to put me to the test, I will make you wait. God, if it's you, let the light turn green right now. And that's why that light stayed red. Because God said, I will make you wait. Your faith should be greater than that. You've seen enough to believe for yourself. You've seen him pay your bills. You've seen him bring you out. You've seen him heal your body. So why are you down now after all the evidence you've already had? Well, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the door, Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, catch that. I said the doors were locked. <laughs> Jesus walked through the door. Because, see, you have a disbelief problem. So if I knocked, you might think something other than what's really going on. So let me show you how powerful I am as God. I'll walk through the door. I don't even need the door to be unlocked. I'll just appear. Ooh, that blesses me right there. Because sometimes we think that there's certain things that should happen first before God shows up. And God say, I will dispel all the rules and do what I want, when I want, and how I want to prove to you that I am God. Watch this. Uh, 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 Thomas, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, say, stop doubting and believe. Look at the neighbor on the other side and say, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Let me tell you how revolutionary that little statement right there is. My Lord and my God. Do you know that this is the first time in the Gospels that the name of God is given to Christ? Before now, what was he called? Son of God. Son of man. He had a whole lot of other titles. This is the first time that anyone declared him to be God. Watch this. From old doubting Thomas. You missed that. Doubting, unbelieving Thomas gets a revelation that Jesus is God. How does a doubting person bring themselves to such a revelation? It's in the usage of the titles Lord and God. Watch this. Lord, write this down. 
when he says, my Lord and my God, Lord means that I wholly yield and give up myself. Whole, wholly yield and give up myself. You know what Thomas is saying? Break that down real easy. When he says, Lord, what he's saying is, Jesus owns me. Ain't that crazy? I've been walking with you, but you, you didn't own me. I served the, 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 the fish and the loaves when you told me to do it, but you didn't own me. Because it's possible that you can be in church, serve, and not be owned by God. It is possible that you could teach the children. It is possible that you could sing and you could do all this stuff and not be owned by him. But Thomas says, my Lord, he owns me. How does he own you? So glad you asked me. You know how he owns you? By two ways. Write this down. Number one, by creation. And um, by redemption. your creator and your redeemer. He created you. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and those that dwell therein. He owns you. If you never call his name, he still owns you. Because he created you. And anything I create, I own. Come on. That's why your parents can look at you and say, they could be sitting right by the kitchen and say, go get me some water. <laughs> you know why? They own you. Yeah, he's talking about, yep. <laughs> I created you, so I own you. I had you to wash the dishes. <laughs> anybody, anybody mama used to tell them that? Okay, thought I was the only one. I had you just to wash the dishes. I created you, so I owned you. And that's what God is saying to us. Because I created you, I own you. But just in case that's not good enough, I'm also, I own you because I redeemed you. Catch this. I paid the price for you. So because I paid the price for you, it is your job to give up your rights and surrender to him. When you say Lord, it means that he has the authority over your life. Um, now let me break that down even further. Authority over your life means over your decisions, over your choices, over your outcome. I know it's real sweet to say, not my will, but thy will be done. But peel that back. Because what happens when the Lord is telling you to do something that you don't want to do? Is it still going to be your will? Or is it going to be his will? Some of us are in the fight of our lives, not because of the devil, not because of our boss, not because of our family member, not because of not having enough money. We are in a fight over will. Because God is trying to kill our will. Because he figured, I own you, paid the price for you, so now I'm call, I call the shots in your life. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to dig this out in a couple of weeks. But I, I think that um, I've been on this social media fast, and it's been a blessing. This is the first time I've ever been on social media that I did not miss it. I just didn't miss it. I don't, I, listen, I don't, <laughs> oh, I don't miss it. I do not. I just do not miss it. This is, but I'm being honest with you. This is the first time because other times I'd be like, <laughs> I want to go to Facebook. I want to go to. I want to go to Instagram. But this time I didn't. I have not missed social media. And 
what I'm discovering is that sometimes um, when you are so fixated on what other people have, you will bend your will to want things that's out of the will of God for your life. Okay. So God says uh, you need to have, I, got, I have the white car ordained for you. But I see Joni with the black car. And I like that black car. And I feel I, watch this, deserve the black car. And God says, but I have ordained from the foundation of the world. I have fixed it for you to have this white car. So watch this. Here's what the enemy does. Let me bless you real good right here. I wasn't going to release this, but I got to release it. You know what the enemy does? He will then send a fake prophet to justify your decision of, of, of disobedience. So he will send somebody to come along to try to convince you that what your decision is, is right. And then you walk away and say, I knew that was God. And six months later, the black car is getting on your nerves because you bought something you couldn't afford. So where was the prophet then? Go get your prophecy now. I'm just trying to help somebody. When you say he is Lord, it means he has authority over your life, over your decisions, over your choices, over your outcomes, over your relationships, over your friendships, over who you spend time with, over who you deal with. He has to have authority over your life. He is in control, not you. Okay? He said, my Lord, and then what did he say? And my God. My God means in whom I believe. In whom I believe. In other words, I have seen enough to believe for myself. He's done enough to prove that he is God. Verse 29, we didn't read it, but verse 29, Thomas tells, uh, uh, Jesus tells Thomas in verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. But watch this. Jesus throws a, a monkey wrench in here. Blessed are those that have not seen and still believe. What is Jesus saying? Freedom, Thomas, I need you to have a different kind of faith. You believe by what you saw, but I need you to have faith that is not dependent on visual experiences. I need you to have a kind of faith that if you don't see it, you still believe it. Come on. I need you to have a kind of faith that you don't see how you're going to pay them school loans, but you still believe you're going to be debt free. I need you to have the kind of faith that you don't see how this thing going to work out on your job, but you got faith enough to believe that God going to carry you through whatever's going on on this job. You don't need evidence to prove that God is real. God will prove himself. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you have to have evidence, it ain't faith. So, first apostle we talked about was who? Second apostle. Here's, here's the third apostle, Paul. Paul. Perhaps no one other than Jesus himself articulates in more detail the character or person of Jesus Christ than Paul the apostle. Uh, let me give you some background on who Paul was. Paul was a Jew and an early uh, persecutor of the Christian church. 
Now, you got to remember, when Paul started out, Paul didn't like Christians. I mean, he hated them. He was a Pharisee and was a part of the ruling class in the Jewish society of, Je of Jesus' day. He was a religious zealot. Zealot. Z-E-A-L-O-T. That means, you know what that means? Fanatic. He was a fanatic. Okay. Um, I want to give you a good example of a fanatic without being disrespectful at the same time. Um, but I hope you understand my heart when I say this. It's fanatics are sometimes those people who stand in front of that clinic on University Boulevard. You get what I'm saying? Y'all with me now? Ask your neighbor if you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to say it in front of the children, all right? Um, um, he was a religious zealot, a fanatic for Judaism, who had obtained a mandate from the ruling council of Jewish leaders to wage a campaign of persecution against Christians in order to discourage their growth. Here's the thing you got to understand about Paul. Two-thirds of the New Testament is written by Paul, but you got to understand Paul, B.C. <laughs> Paul, B.C. was nothing to be played with. Paul killed Christians. Paul's whole um, operation was to make sure that he destroyed Christendom off the face of the planet because Christians were turning the world upside down. They were messing up Jewish life and how a Jewish systems, and they, didn't, and they didn't like it. So Paul was the one that was out trying to kill them. And in the middle of Paul trying to do his own thing, he gets on this road called Damascus. Because <laughs> we all got a Damascus road where we're trying to live our own life. And all of a sudden, you find this road called Damascus. Damascus was the road that Paul was on when all of a sudden, Jesus shined and said, Hey, ho, ho, sir, what, what is you doing? The, the person you are persecuting, I am he. I am the one. Blinded the man. The man was blind for days after. I mean, wrecked his whole entire plan. Watch this. Go to Acts, the 22nd chapter, verse number 1 through 16. This is not the account. The account actually happens somewhere around verse number 11, I mean, uh, chapter 12 or 11, somewhere around there. But Acts 22, he's recounting his experience of how he was converted and his mission. Acts 22, verse number 1 through 16. Acts 22, verse number 1 through 22, verse number 1 through 16. We are recording this, right? Praise the Lord. Thank you. Acts 22, verse number 1 through 16. In this season, I'm giving too much content for it not to be recorded. You got to go back and, and read this and listen to this. Acts 22, verse number 1 through 16. Uh, brothers, and, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense because they're trying to charge them. Okay, When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way. 
to their death. Let me stop right there. Notice he said, I've persecuted the followers of, the, of this way. The way was actually what Christians were called before they were called Christians. They, didn't, they weren't called Christians until they got to Antioch, okay? But before that, they were called followers of the way. They didn't know how to describe it. They just said, it's, it's the way. <laughs> okay? Um, uh, uh, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council themselves, uh, the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. But about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all the things you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by hand into, to, into Damascus because, of, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to, me, came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness uh, to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what you are waiting and, and, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. See, this is the beginning of the, this begins the conversion and the mission of, the, of one of the most prolific of Jesus' apostles, and that is Paul. We know both from history and the Bible that Paul went on to preach and establish the Christian religion throughout the Roman Empire. He was eventually imprisoned by the emperor uh, by the name of Nero and executed in Rome in 67 A.D on account of his role as a Christian leader and teacher. Paul, who was an adversary, an enemy of the church, was the one, uh, one who initially denied who Jesus was, ended up giving his life for his faith in Jesus Christ. And at the, towards the end of his life, he wrote the most fantastic words about who Jesus is. Go to Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. I love Colossians. If you get a chance to read Colossians, you have to read it and study it. I love Colossians because uh, it's one of my favorite books. If I had a favorite book, it's one of them because Colossians talks about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It, it talks about... Paul writing in Colossians is so eloquent and so just, I mean, it don't make no sense what this man writes in this, in this one book. Colossians 1, verse number 15 through 18. Y'all got it? Am I waiting on anybody? Okay. Colossians 1, verse number 15 through 18. I got to read it slow because it's, it's heavy. 
okay? Colossians 1, 15 through 18. He is, talking about Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Verse number 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, that is the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Because Colossians talks about the preeminence of Christ. Okay? I want to break down this text so that you understand what he's actually saying. That was heavy, wasn't it? That was some heavy stuff. So let's go back and break it down. Okay. Number one, Paul says that he is the visible image of God. What does that mean? That means when you see Jesus, you're looking at God. When you see Jesus, you are looking at God. Number two, it says he existed before creation. He existed before time, just like God. Okay? Number three, he is supreme over creation. He is supreme over creation. What does that mean? He has the authority of God. Paul is stating his case of who Jesus is. Number four, he is the agent of creation. He is the agent of creation. What does that mean? Everything in the material and spiritual world was created by and for him. Number five, he is eternal. What does that mean? He's everlasting. What is that? That's another quality of God. God don't have a birthday. He was. He is. And he shall be. He has no beginning or no ending. He was there before time began. He'll be there when time is over. Yes. He is eternal. He is eternal. I know I'm going to go kind of fast, so I'm going to go back. I'll go back and read each one. Number six, he is the head of the church. Not the pastor. Not the bishop. Not the pope. Jesus is the head of the church. Pastor is not even the shepherd. I am actually, as the Bible calls, the under-shepherd. Jesus is the head of the church. Why is he the head of the church? Because he died for it. You still don't believe it. He died for a church without spot or wrinkle. He died for the church. I need you to catch that. I know we say he just died for sinners, but when sinners give their life to Jesus, they are the church. You, your body, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the church. So everywhere you go, the church goes. Some of y'all, the church been in the club. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So you are the church. The church is not a physical be building. This is just a building. When we get together, we are the church. That's why I couldn't understand when we tried to go under the tent. Oh, why are we going under the tent? 
Because wherever we go, we are the church. If you're in Publix on aisle number seven, the church is in Publix on aisle number seven. You are the church. But he is the head of the church because he died for the church. And guess what? He's coming back for the church without spot or wrinkle. Jesus is the only leader of the church in heaven and on earth. And Jesus does not share his leadership with any other person. He is a leader. We are the servants. And number seven, he leads those who will resurrect. He will lead those who will resurrect. That's why he says the firstborn from the dead. Okay? Um, when Jesus comes back, cracks the sky, trump shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise. What this text is saying is that he is the firstborn, so he is leading us. Why? Because he was the one that got up first. So he's going to show us how to get up. You see that? Okay? So uh, let me read those again. I want to make sure you got it. Number one, the visible image of God. When you see Jesus, you're looking at God. Jesus said, I and the Father am one. When you see me, you're looking at him. Okay? Number two, he existed before creation. What does that mean? He existed, exist, existed before time. Before there was a tick-tock, he was already there. You don't believe me? John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That flesh um, dwelt among us is Jesus. But in the beginning, he was the Word. He was already there. Okay? Number three, he's supreme over, over creation. Supreme over creation. He has the authority of God. That's what that means. He has the authority of God. He calls the shots. He does what he wants when he wants. He's supreme over creation. You know he's supreme over creation because when he died, before he got up, before he was resurrected, he went down into hell. They was having a party. They was having a good time. They was, I mean, they was rejoicing. Oh, we finally got God. We got him now. Jesus shows up. I am the resurrection and the life. And he takes the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Why? Because he's supreme over all creation. Okay? Number four, he's the agent of creation. Everything in the material world and the spiritual world was created by him and for him. Number five, he is eternal. Number six, he's the head of the church. I was telling somebody yesterday that, you know, um, a couple of days ago, that a lot of times in the old church, everybody wants to please the pastor. Yes, a pastor. What you want, pastor? You good, you good, pastor? You need your water, pastor? You want your handkerchief, pastor? You want right? Okay, everybody want to please the pastor. But ultimately, if Jesus is the head of the church, you please him and the pastor will be pleased as well. Do y'all see that? Okay. All right. That don't mean you disrespect the pastor. Um, he is the head of the church. And number seven, he leads those who will resurrect. Another way of putting that, instead of just talking about eschatological end time when he comes back, it also means he leads in the future. What does that mean? He's already there. He's already in your future. He's already in your tomorrow. 
Whew, that blesses me. Why, let me tell you why that blesses me, Amber. Because there's some stuff that the devil is plotting two days from now that the enemy, that God is already in it. He already blocking it. He's already in your future. Okay? Y'all got that? Okay. Now, we talked about what history says, what, what the history books say, the secular world say. We talked about the apostles. Now let's talk about the testimony. What did Jesus say about himself? You know? Because ain't nothing like when you, you, you say who you are for yourself. You know, you got a lot of people that can talk for you. And most times they mess that up. Right? Like if I, if I told a story and I started down here with Monice and told her, you know, a line. And I, you know, y'all ever play that game? And you go one by one. By the time you get to the end, that whatever I said will be jacked up. Right? So Jesus has his own testimony. Uh, this leaves one last person to examine, and that is Jesus himself. Our description of Jesus would be incomplete if we did not examine at least a few things that Jesus said about his true identity. Uh, here are three things that he said about himself to three individuals. The first individual I want to talk about is the Samaritan woman. Samaritan. S-A-M-A-R-I-T-A-N. Samaritan. The Samaritan woman. Go to John, the fourth chapter, verse number 25 and 26. I preached about her several times. You know her story. John 4, verse number 25 through 26. Can I tell y'all what I really feel in the spirit? I feel like y'all are really getting this. It is, it's, I feel like you're really getting this. I really do. John 4, 25 through 26. Gospel according to John, the fourth chapter, verse number 25 through 26. Jesus comes by, stops at this well, waits on this woman. Woman shows up, noon. Y'all remember that? To get some water. And she encounters Jesus. And Jesus says, well, you know, why don't you give me something to drink? And she say, well, you ain't got nothing to draw with. And um, they have this whole discourse. And in the discourse, we find out that what? She's been married how many times? Five times. And the one she with. Ain't hers. Okay, all right. Y'all so hood. John 4, 25 through 26. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Now, you got you to watch this conversation because if you back up, you'll discover that they start having a spiritual conversation. This sinful woman starts having a spiritual conversation with Jesus. Now, that blesses me because sometimes the people that you discredit and discount because of their past, can have more spirituality than some of these people that be in church every single Sunday. Okay? This woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now catch this. The, this woman says, I know the Messiah is coming. And she says, and I'm waiting on him. That thing blessed me so good. Can I tell you something? Let me tell you how deep her faith is. She's a Samaritan. She's not a Jew. She's not even of the same faith. But yet she has such a belief that the Messiah, the Savior, is coming. 
this woman who just got out of, got up out of somebody else's bed. Yeah. The situation bed. <laughs> this woman who who is ostracized by society that she won't even show up the same time as everybody else because she know they're going to talk about her like a dog. This woman who has no right to this faith thing says, I know the Messiah coming. God, that blessed me. See, that's kind of, that's faith. See, she says, I know I'm a sinner. I know I got a reputation for being with a lot of different men. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've had five husbands. I know I'm rejected by society. I know I'm not even right from the right background because I'm not a Jew. But I know I have a Messiah. I know I have a Savior that will come and save me. God help me. There is something bubbling up in this woman's heart that in spite of what her life looks like right now, she knows that the Lord is going to come and save her. And can I say something to you? That no matter how far you have fallen, no matter how much you have gone down, no matter how much sin you are in, don't you lose your faith that the Messiah, that the Savior can come and get you. God help me. Give your neighbor a high five and say, he came and got me. I was in a mess. I was crazy. I was tore up from the flow up, but I serve a God that came and got me just in the nick of time. And I ain't got a clean story that I just came to the altar speaking in tongues. No, he came and got me out of some dirty, nasty, dingy places. He got me out of some awful places. He got me out of, out of some out of crazy stuff, but I'm grateful to God that I serve a Savior that came and got me just when I needed him. Can we take a look moment and give God praise that you serve a God that came and got you out of some dirty places because he will rescue you Jesus gets excited in this conversation by her faith and says oh you ain't on the Messiah <laughs> I is he watch this this is strange this is strange that Jesus is doing this. Why is this strange, Pastor? This is strange because Jesus is not usually forthcoming with his identity. Most times when people identify, most times when he's identified, it's by other people. Jesus very rarely in scripture says, I'm God. Very rarely. Watch this. Why would, why would not, you know, if I was God, I'd come through announcing it. You know, like, let me put it like this. If the Lord gave some of y'all a Bentley, you would take 17 pictures and put them all on social media because you would come through announcing what you have, right? Some of us, more of us than you think. Some of y'all rooting on your head, no, yes, you would. You'd be right down on that ground. Because you announce what you have. Let you get in a relationship. Let me stop. Let me move on. Jesus was responsible for trying to convince people that he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was responsible for trying to convince people that he's the day spring on high. He was responsible for trying to convince people that he was the son of God, the Lord of all creation. But he had to do it discreetly. Because he did not need the Romans to execute him before time. And he didn't need the Pharisees or the Sadducees to cooperate with the Romans to, to get him murdered before his mission was completed. So he had to use some discretion. Everybody say discretion. But when he encounters this 
lascivious, sinful woman. He outright tells this woman, I'm the Messiah. That blew me away. Because you didn't even say that to your disciples. They with you all the time. But you run into this one woman and just give up your whole identity. I am he. Why? Why? You ready for this? Here we go. Because Jesus knew that this woman's word was not good in the priestly court of the Sanhedrin because she was a Samaritan. They wouldn't have listened to her anyway. They discounted her. But here's the power behind this one woman. This same lascivious, sinful, nasty, five-husband woman has this encounter with Jesus and goes back to the city. And this same woman goes back to the city and turns it upside down by telling them, come see a man who told me everything about myself. God help me. Isn't that amazing how God can use you no matter what your past says? God can put you in such a place that you could be so effective no matter how many mistakes you made. Let me put it like this. Yes, you got credit issues, but when God starts blessing you, you're going to be blessing so many people that you can't even believe that the same person who couldn't rub two nickels together all of a sudden is paying people's cars off. See, you can't discount what you've done in your past. I can't, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm, I'm in a season right now where I get very frustrated with super deep saints who are very criti cr critical of other people's sin that might be public while you sin with sin that you struggle with private. As if spirituality can be, can be over the sin that you hide. So we can be so deep that we mask what's really going on. And watch this. God say, I'd rather deal with somebody that just keep it real. I'd rather be able, be able to use somebody that say, I got issues, I got problems, I got struggles, but I'm still waiting on my Messiah. God help me. And if you are in that position where you are saying, I know I'm messed up, I got issues, and I'm not going to use grace as a license, but I'm still messing up, I, God says you are in the perfect place for me to use your life the way I need to use it. Jesus describes himself as the Savior spoken of by the Jews. Now, that was by the Samaritan woman. Here's the second one. I'm hurrying. Um, um, now the next conversation I want to have that Jesus announces who he is is with Peter the Apostle. We just talked about him a minute ago, but we got to go back to him. Peter the Apostle. We have looked at Peter's declaration in this chapter, but this time let's focus on Jesus' response to what Peter says. Go back to Matthew 16, or go to Matthew 16, verse number 15 through 17. Matthew 16, verse number 15 through 17. I got one more point, but I'm going to end here, okay? Because I want to get you out of here. Matthew 16, verse number 15 through 17. Y'all got it? I need to wait on anybody? Okay. Matthew 16, verse number 15 through 17. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, 
Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Notice that Jesus confirms what Peter says about him and, and even goes on to reveal how Peter has come to this realization. He said, you are Christ, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says to Peter, show you right. That's who I be. But Peter, I don't want you to get the big head and think because you spoke up quicker than the other, than the mother one that you must be more deeper than the mother one. So let's get real. Let me tell you where you got that from. You didn't come up with that on your own. My father in heaven had to reveal that to you. It had to be through revelation. Let the church say revelation. You know who Jesus is through revelation. He has, watch this, to reveal himself to you. This is why you can have people that can hear the same message as you and miss it. Because God reveals himself. Okay? We, we have titles for, you know, for God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Okay? All those titles come from experiences with God. That once you have an experience with God, then he reveals himself and you know him in a new way. You don't know that he will provide until you've been broke. But when you have gone through not having and God made a way out of no way, and you know it wasn't your check, but you know that this must be God for this to have happen. That's how God reveals himself to you. And here's the problem. We want to know God at one level, and God is saying, I want you to know me deeper. But I have to take you through some things to reveal to you who I really am. Sometimes I got to take you through sickness for you to know that I am a healer. But if you don't go through the sickness, you will never know for yourself that I can heal your body that by my stripes you are healed. You don't know that I can mend your heart until your heart has been broken. And when your heart has been broken and you know it was nobody but God that put it back together, then you know for yourself that God can mend a broken heart. He has to reveal himself to you. Let me say this to you, and I'm done. I can't, I can't go on. on. I'll, I'll pick this up later. You have to make sure that when you read the word, you pray the prayer and ask God, reveal yourself to me in this scripture. Reveal. Don't just take the Bible and just, I'm reading chapters. And you don't understand any of it. You have a head knowledge of God, but you don't have a heart knowledge of God. And God is saying, sometimes you need to get in my, my scripture, and you need to read one chapter or one verse or a couple of verses and say, God, reveal yourself to me in this. Why I keep coming back to this? Why I keep looking at this? I've been, I've been, um, the Lord, I, something I never read before. I know I'm a pastor, and I, this is going to shock you, but there's some stuff I never read in the Bible. And I, I started reading Ezekiel. I never read Ezekiel before. And the Lord has been dealing with me about how um, Ezekiel was a prophet that was telling the people, hey, I got a message for y'all. You keep straying. Every time the Lord trying to do something, for you and through you, you keep straying. And the Lord has been really dealing with me with Ezekiel. And I've been just in Ezekiel. And I'm saying, Lord, why can't I let this go? And the Lord had to show me, because you straying over here. 
and I need you to get on back. Because even in Ezekiel, he starts showing you, uh, I think we read this in some of, uh, some of y'all took the class with me, Deuteronomy 28, that if you don't enjoy in gladness in a time of prosperity, I'm going to.